0: Hello, everyone. That's like much more chill than the one before. Is everybody just really excited because it's warm outside finally? Choco weather, and I'm so happy about it. Yes. All right, so we're back to our regularly scheduled programming this week. Um, We've had an awesome time the past two weeks, though, especially last week with our student takeover. You guys did a fantastic, fantastic, fantastic job. And senior girls killed it this weekend with their above all, so give them a hand for that. Yeah, it was really, really, really cool. Um, all right, so now we are beginning a new series, and this is the last series that we're going to get into before the summer, um, and it's called Flipped, as you can see, um, and we're going to be looking at some examples from the Bible of people whose lives were flipped upside down by an encounter with Christ. And the theme behind this week specifically is this idea of peeling the label. What's a label? Seems like a pretty simple question, right? Um, But the dictionary defines it as a slip, as of paper or cloth, inscribed and affixed to something for identification or description. So that would mean to us probably one of these, Right Now that one specifically is for, some of you getting it, some of you getting it. Some of, this one's for a character in probably the greatest movie of all time. If you don't know the movie, it's The Princess Bride. If you've not seen it, go watch it on Netflix after this because it's awesome. Anyway, um, <laughs> so labels, these labels are like a stamp that we wear figuratively and sometimes literally that tell ourselves and everyone else who we are. And we let these labels define us, define everything we do. When I was in high school, which was not all that long ago, it's like five years, um, I had one label that I kind of lived my life by. And that label, if this slide doesn't already give you a clue, was nerd. And that label, like some of you have come up to me and you're like, oh, you're so cool. You haven't known me long enough. I'm a nerd. Okay? Um, and it normally had, like, a few descriptors tacked onto it, like, theater nerd. Band nerd. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, guys. I like you. Harry Potter nerd. I found out after I took this photo that I'm actually a Ravenclaw, so I'm not, not repping the right house. I still have that scarf, though. Anyway. <laughs> And I wore, I wore my nerd label with pride back then. I walked around like, yeah, I'm a nerd. it's great. I love it. I love who I am. And it's great. And I'm not the only one who has carried a label with them through school or through life in general, right? All of us have them. Sometimes they come from the activities that we do, the cliques that we hang with. Some of us are jocks, or choir kids, or math nerds, or whatever else is out there. And labels are a huge part of society. They place us in categories, in groups that tell the rest of the world how we're different. Looking through history, there's never been a time when this hasn't been true. Um, Even back to the time of Jesus and before, world societies have been dividing the people into classes, categories, and boxes. And tonight we're going to look at someone in Scripture who was really defined by a label that she wasn't proud of. Um, You'll find her story in Mark chapter 5. So if you have your Bibles, um, you can go ahead and turn there or you can just read along on the screen. It says this, And a great crowd followed him, him being Jesus, and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had And his disciples said to him, kind of sassily, you see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Let's pray. Hey, Jesus, thank you so much for your word. Um, Thank you for the example that you give us in it. Um, God, I just pray tonight that the words that come out of my mouth are not my words. Um, They're yours, God, Um, because these kids need to hear from you, not me. Um, Yeah, we love you so much, and it's in your name I pray. Amen. So let's kind of walk through this passage. We have Jesus who, with his disciples, is walking through this town. And at this point in Jesus' life, he's far enough along in his ministry that word has gotten around about him. The people know he's been healing people and performing all of these miracles, and there's even whispers out there that he might be the Messiah. So the crowd around him in this town is one you might see gathered around a celebrity. Like, imagine if Beyonce was walking through downtown Topeka she would have a crowd around her pretty quick, and they'd be pretty excited. <clears throat> and it says, like, um, in the original uh, text here, where we see thronged, that actually means choked or stifled him. So this, this crowd is more like a mob pressing in around him, encroaching on his personal space. Like, if I were Jesus, I'd be a little claustrophobic. Um, but in this crowd is this woman who has been suffering for 12 years with a bleeding condition, and this condition has given her an oppressive label. Her label is unclean. She is unwanted, rejected, unworthy. According to Jewish law, a woman with her condition was unfit even to be touched. If anyone were to touch her, they would have to immediately wash themselves clean, but would still be considered unclean by the rest of the community until that evening. In fact, like, the Hebrew word here for unclean is tuma. And this word, roughly translated, means the loss of spiritual power that comes from being distanced from God and being able to die, both physically and spiritually. So it's kind of, kind of confusing. But basically, um, this disease, this tuma, this uncleanliness in her, is something that stands between her, and God. It puts her at a further distance from God than the rest of the community was at that time. And so, in effect, she was essentially closer to death than to life. And it even kind of sounds like our word for tomb or tumor, right? So we kind of get that picture from the word. And it's the same word used in Genesis at the fall. This is what Adam and Eve brought into the world when they sinned in the beginning— So to be placed in that category is to be truly ostracized from the rest of the community. So imagine being in her situation. The people around her are terrified to even touch her for 12 years. She is in the ultimate state of loneliness, having no contact with any human being. I really hope her love language was not physical touch, because this would have been... I mean, it's awful already, but it would have been really awful then, too. Um, If she had a family, she couldn't see them, and they probably couldn't talk to her, they couldn't see her. So, have any of you felt like this? Like, you can't talk to anyone or share what you're going through? You have to shoulder everything on your own and keep everyone at arm's length? Maybe you've been bullied, surrounded by people you feel like only pretend to be your friends, so you don't trust them with the serious stuff. Maybe you've been having a rough time at home, and your parents tell you that you can't share it with any of your friends. You've got to keep it in the family. Don't talk about it. Just think, think of a situation for me when you felt isolated. And you'll understand even a little bit what this woman was walking through. And the passage says she had suffered under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better but rather grew worse. So if we take a guess at what this woman's journey looked like, it would have been she gets this disease, it doesn't go away, she starts to seek out physicians who say they can help her. And even though it's expensive, she accepts all of their treatments. But it's like she keeps running into doctor after doctor who's malpracticing. So instead of getting better, she gets worse. And now she's out of money and probably living on the streets. So in her desperate situation, she hears about Jesus. This man who claims to be the Messiah and has been healing people and performing miracles up and down the countryside. She's put her faith in people who claim to be able to heal her before and been let down. But this man, this Jesus, maybe he could be the one who would finally succeed. So when Jesus rolls into town, she joins the crowd around him. And this situation was already a step of faith for her because 12 years of isolation probably makes social situations a bit more stressful. So being crowded in that group of people would be terrifying. Not to mention, she doesn't want anyone in this crowd to recognize her because she'd be scorned, rejected, and probably punished just for being there. And everybody would have to go run and take a bath, and it would be this huge deal. So she's making herself small in this crowd as she's edging closer and closer to Jesus who's in the middle of this huge crowd of people. And in order to keep herself from being noticed, she decides she's just going to sneak up behind Jesus. That way he won't see her. And she's just going to touch the hem of his robe. She has so much faith in Jesus, in this man who now stands only a few feet away from her, that she only has to touch the hem of his garment. She doesn't have to make skin-on-skin contact. It's just this much to be finally healed. I can only imagine the incredible anticipation that she must have felt as she reached out her weak and tired hand to feel the rough fabric of his robe. And the Astounding relief as she feels her body is finally healed. I was reading, I was reading some commentaries on this passage because what she does next kind of confuses me. Um, <clears throat> because if I were her, having been miraculously healed by the God of the universe in the flesh, I'd be pretty stoked about it. I would be singing, I would be jumping, I would be hopping like I was in the Wizard of Oz. Like, but that's not what she does here. She tries to sneak away. She stays quiet and tries to retreat back out of the crowd. And this commentary that I read had this insight. We don't know for sure if this is what was going on in her head, but it said that this healing is likely, uh, it likely seemed to her a stolen cure. So she feared to acknowledge it because she snuck up behind Jesus and touched him without permission. She feels like she somehow stole the power to heal herself from Jesus. But then Jesus does something she didn't expect. He asked who touched him. And Jesus' disciples, like I said, they're pretty sassy. They're looking at him like, we're in a mosh pit over here. There are people everywhere, and you're asking one person? Which one person touched you? Could you be more specific? But the woman immediately knows what he's talking about. And she came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. She has just been healed. This should be a joyous moment for her. Instead, she's terrified and throwing herself on Jesus' mercy because she doesn't understand. She doesn't understand that he didn't ask who she was so he could find a culprit, so he could punish her for the theft she thinks she committed. He wants to hear her story, he wants the crowd to hear her story. He wants to change her tuma into a testimony. And that's exactly what he calls us to as well. We all have skeletons in our closet. We all have tuma in each of us. And we would rather keep it to ourselves. We would rather not let the people around us know that it exists, even with the people we're closest to. These pieces of our past are not what we share first. I didn't walk into my first date with Micah, my fiancé, and say, this is all the crap in my life. Deal with it. No. (laughs) That's terrifying. We don't do that. But God, God has already worked through the Tuma. He's brought us back to life, just like the picture we have of baptism. When we go under the water, the Tuma in us dies along with Jesus, and when we rise out of the water, we rise again with him. And that too must dead. Just like it says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, the old has passed away, the new has come. Oh, gosh. <clears throat> and once this woman is done confessing to Jesus, she hears him say a word she was not expecting one she probably hasn't heard in reference to herself in years. Daughter. He says, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. And suddenly, her label of unclean, her tuma, is washed away. And it's replaced with daughter. This word claims Her. It brings her out of her isolation. It makes her part of the family of God. It voices familiarity. It makes her someone that Jesus knows and loves, someone he cares for. It covers the labels that have defined her in her illness and isolation and brokenness, and it makes her brand new. Guys, that's cool. I don't care who you are. That is incredible. And this is the label that our Tuma is replaced with. When we trust in God and accept Jesus as our Savior, we become his daughters and sons, his brothers and sisters. We become his. And with that label comes freedom and joy and peace. We don't even live under the labels of nerd or jock or whatever else. That's not the first thing that defines us. Because now we all live under the label of God's child. We are his And suddenly, we're not so different. Suddenly, we have something that binds us together instead of separating us into these categories and boxes that the world wants to put us in. And the weight that we carry of our secrets and our past and our ugly stuff, it falls away. Psalm 103, 12 says, as far as the east is from the west, I don't know if this is east and west, but I'm going with it. So far does he remove our transgressions from us. And the power that Tuma had over us is reversed. So instead of a power that silences and oppresses and makes us want to hide, we have the resurrection power that inspires us to speak, to tell everyone what Jesus did in our lives, how he saved us and made us free. So if there's something that you're afraid to share, remember that Jesus has taken it Even if you're still walking through it, he's with you in it, and he's got it. Remember that you are covered in his grace, and you are not who you were before. He's turned your tuma into your testimony. You are made new and made to share your story with the rest of the world. Let's pray. Hey, Jesus. um, Thank you for who you are. Thank you for taking our tuma, our ugly stuff, our uncleanliness, and making us new. God, I just lift up this time um, as these students go to their small groups that the conversation would bring glory to you and would bring them into deeper relationship with you and with each other, God. You are so good. Let me pray all this in your name. Amen.